We'll be re, um, exploring ex Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22 this morning. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. All right, thanks, Judy, and so good to be here with you this morning. My name is Jer. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the shore, and uh, like Tracy thanked, I want to thank all those that had part in decorating yesterday. That was just an amazing time, and if you are new here, welcome. So good to have you here. Uh, yesterday was a fantastic time. Lots of candy, lots of treats, and uh, I remember walking around in my sweet pirate costume. Uh, should have got a prize for that, really. Uh, but Rhea, you get a prize for the best dinosaur costume this morning. Uh, but but uh, for sure, like all these kids were running around handing the candies to their parents and, and one, one child came and I was standing right beside the dad and I go, oh, I'll hold it for you. And they were like, mm, handing me this whole bag of candy and I was like, you really trust me with this? And then they're like, give me <laughs> it was like they, they just gave over their life, uh, so it was really interesting. But the kids were loved it. There was uh, moments of, of conversation with the kids, and they were like, this is the best day ever. Um, so it was a lot of fun. So we look forward to more of those. Uh, we are doing community events every month. And so the, remember September was a big barbecue launch party. Uh, this October obviously was the fall festival. And then in November, we're going to do anything in a crock pot bring it. All right, so we're going to do a crockpot feast and just play games and hang out, get to know one another and fellowship together as a church. And then in December, we're going to do a big movie night here in the gym. So we're going to have a fun time throughout the year uh, together as a church. So we look forward to that. Well, if you're new here, we are studying through the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 2, as Judy just read for us this morning, verses 11 through 22. So you can, if you're not there yet, please go ahead and turn uh, your Bibles to that uh, passage. And if you do not have a Bible, there is one at the welcome desk. Please grab one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, please take one with you. And that is our gift uh, from us to you. We want to gift that with you to you. 
Uh, if you're also, if you're uh, a grade 12 student or lower, we do have handouts at the balloon table there uh, that you can fill out. And if afterwards, if you're not yet filled with treats, uh, you can f- fill out those sermon notes and bring them back to me and I'll give you a bag of candy uh, afterwards. And so if you're an adult, since it's October 31st, I'll give you a bag of candy too, all right? So if you want to do sermon notes, and there's a sweet joke on there I'm really excited about. Uh, so you can uh, grab one of those. Well, the big idea for today is the transformation from death to life in this text. Um, you can see it on our heading. Uh, if you go back a slide there, Jamie. Uh, on our sermon heading, you see that death to life. This is the big heading for the big idea for the whole book of Ephesians, and especially for chapter two. We've, we saw some of that last week. And again, the first three points for us uh, today are past death, present life, and outcome. And we're going to unpack those uh, over the course of the next uh, little bit here. So let me pray for us as we get started. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you've done. Uh, We thank you that uh, this story is really your story. Um, It's all about you. It's not about us at all. And help us, Jesus, soften our hearts to that truth uh, this morning as we unpack your word and find these uh, truths and um, help us, Lord, uh, just really resonate and understand and may it impact our life for the rest of our life until we get to see you face to face. Lord, change us now, we ask. Uh, We invite you here to be present with us uh, that we might uh, learn from you and be softened by you so that we can accept you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus we pray, amen. Well, last week, Matt unpacked the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter two, and he gave us the, the three points, if you remember them, death, life, purpose. Well, this week is death, life, outcome. Very similar uh, from the week before, but it's not surprising because Paul, the author, is really doubling down on this. So let's jump in. If you look and put your eyes on verses 11 and 12 there, you'll see a therefore. And what is that therefore, therefore? It is obviously to remind us of what has been said previously. And that was, was last week. So take a listen to what Matt preached on last week. And, and really the purpose of our lives is to do the works that God has prepared for us to do before time even existed. And that is our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ. And now we go into this and it says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you, ha- that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So a few things uh, that we notice right away, uh, words like remember and, and phrases like at that time tell us of a past, tell us of something that has already taken place. And that is our first point, past death. Like what has taken place in the past, and we need to really double down on this and and get to understand this. So this is describing a past, like I said, a past state that we are all shared, like we all of us share it, and that is a death. Like every one of us are on a road to death. Uh, And and, uh, in the scriptures we see a few words a lot, and I want to introduce them to you really quickly. The first is the flesh. In the flesh, which is either on the journey towards death or death itself. Another word that I want to introduce to you is the spirit. 
And this is completely opposite of what we know to be death. The spirit exudes life. It is eternal. It is contrary to the flesh. But, but the tricky thing with the spirit, however, it is either infused and corrupted with death or it is awakened into spiritual life. Like this is really confusing. I, want, I really want to help you understand this. And I, for me, this was a really impactful week this week of really making sure this nailed home into my heart that there's a spiritual life and there's a spiritual death. See, a physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. Like that is the road that we're on. The soul will leave our body. The soul is eternal. The spirit is eternal and it will leave us one day and we will collapse. Our, our last breath will go out of our lungs and we will be done. We will begin the process of turning to dust. We all will experience this when we take our last breath. Spiritual death, however, which is a greater significance, is the separation of your soul from God. The separation of your soul from God. In Genesis 2.17, God tells Adam that in the day he eats the forbidden fruit, if you're familiar with this story, if you're not, you can go right to the first book of the Bible. It's, in, it's named Genesis, uh, the beginnings. And in chapter 2, verse 17, it talks about God talking to Adam and, saying, and giving him instruction in this vast, lush garden, don't eat this one, from this one tree. And unfortunately, the apple always gets named, Right? <laughs> like don't eat the apple. I don't know. We, we don't know what fruit it was actually, but don't eat from the forbidden, this tree of forbidden fruit or you will surely die. And Adam does fall. He does eat the fruit, but his physical death does not occur immediately. So God must have had another type of death in mind, this spiritual death. The separation from God is exactly what we see in Genesis 3, 8, after the fall, after he ate the fruit. And it reads this, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord, they hid themselves, they, they separated themselves from God. See, the fellowship had been broken, they were spiritually dead. They could not be together with the Lord. There's overwhelming shame and guilt. See, the sad part is some of us here, and this is incredibly sad, some of us here are spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God, your creator. See, we either have been running from, ignoring, or just straight up complacent when it comes to the matters of God to the matters of his church, and to the matters of his word. We all will die one day. Like that, that, is not a, that is not news to anyone here, I'm sure. We will die physically. This is, not, this is not new news. The thing is, are you already dead? See, the flesh and the spirit are sub-themes in the next few chapters of Paul's letter, but not just in Paul's letters, but in all of the scriptures. Like flesh is mentioned 284 times in the scripture. Spirit is mentioned 587 times in, the, in this scripture. And what better person to awaken us to the reality of this than Paul, the author of this letter. One that was literally spiritually dead. Walking on this earth, persecuting the church, killing Christians, like slaying them, watching them die by the stoning, 
And then he was awakened, spiritually awakened, alive by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. See, friends, we may not have had a blinding light and a voice, because that's what took place on that road to Damascus, a blinding light and, and a voice from the heavens and Jesus awakening the spirit within Paul that he might become alive. But we do have the word written. We do have God's word in written form. Like I've said this before, if you want to know the word of God, like if you want to hear God's voice, read the Bible out loud. Guaranteed you will hear God's voice. Guaranteed, 100%. Read it out loud and you'll hear God's voice. So as your pastor and shepherd of your spirit, I'm pleading with you, all of us, that we would read, that we'd hear that we'd study and memorize and meditate on God's word. This is the beginning of the transformation of spiritual death to spiritual life. Just try it out. See, I want to call us all to experience the Father's glorious grace this morning. Like his glorious grace. It starts off harsh, right? Like you're dead. You may not even be alive right now. It sounds incredibly harsh, but I was there with you. I want to make this as crystal clear as possible, doubling down on what Matt said last week and what Paul is writing about here in our text, that all people, you and I included, have only experienced true life when born into Christ. That's when you understand life, when you're actually born into him. And if you're not there yet, you, it's going to be hard to understand that, but I want to try and explain that over this course of the time here. So all people are born, but they are still born, meaning they are born into death. There is no life in them. That means every neighbor, friend, child outside of Christ is actually dead. I'm not trying to be mean here. This is exactly just what the Bible is saying right here. It says it again. If you look at chapter 2, verses 1, which was read last week, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So it's not my words that I'm saying that you're dead. It's God's words that's saying you are dead. And then in the passage that we're looking at here in verse 12, it says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That is our state. See, Paul not only says that you are born dead, that he gives five qualifiers in this text. In verse 12, you just, I just read it for us. Five qualifiers of our deadness. So let's hit those things together so we understand them more. So the first is separated from Christ. What does this mean, separation from Christ? This simply, this simply means your, your sin caused a dividing chasm between you and Christ that is unable to be crossed. Unable. Like God did not cause this chasm of separation. You, you did. We did. Like he, you are the one that caused the chasm of separation. I'm the one that caused the chasm of separation and we can't do anything about it. And it keeps getting worse. 
Like we, we cause a chasm between God and we're literally dead. Like a corpse. Like think about it, a dead body on the ground and you, you have no life within you and there's a separation between you and God. How in the world are you going to get to him? You're dead. And it gets worse. There's interpersonal relationship that is broken as well. So you and I will sin against each other, causing a deadness between the two of us. But it gets worse. There's an intrapersonal deadness that's going on within your own heart that you do the things you don't want to do and you continue to sin and you continue to rebel and you continue to break covenant and you continue to break relationship with others and with God and with yourself in your own heart. There's a constant death that is going on in all of us. See, Matt awakened us last week to the fact that no one is good. Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, or 19, verse 17, there is only one who is good. That's God himself. And then it continues, and it's really interesting. It says, if you would enter life, then keep the commandments. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is, if you want to be good, then keep my commandments. Do you realize how impossible it is to keep the commandments of God? And they're simple. Like, don't lie. Seemingly pretty simple. Don't lie. Just tell the truth. Don't take something that's not yours. Seems pretty easy. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Okay. Stay away. What about don't covet anything? Don't look at someone's car and want it. Don't look at someone's house and want it. Don't look at other people's possessions and desire it for your own. Do you see the problem here? They're simple, but incredibly hard to manage. Like Instagram, how often are you just going like this, going, and then stopping and going, coveting or lusting or doing something, I'm coveting or looking at something I should not be looking at, just constantly, it's a, it's a stream of sin and rebellion against your holy God. It's ongoing. Like it's 10 o'clock, 1040. How often have we sinned already? What laws have we broken? And this is just now. Now go back to your, when you're two or three or four or five. No one is perfect. Not one. And Jesus is trying to awaken us to this truth that you are a dead corpse and to get to Christ is impossible. See, there is so much broken in us that there is no way outside of our sin to get back to Christ. It says in Romans 3.23, it's not on the screen, but for all have fallen short of the glory and the perfection of God. Like people have tried to get better, right? Try to be better. Try to save their physical being by by, uh, using medications or 
you know, drinking a lot of, of uh, power drinks or whatever, protein drinks or working out and, and there's uh, all these different things that they're trying to do to, to produce and make this life live, go longer and eat properly and there's all these diets now that you can have that will make you healthier and there's like, get this one, face cream, like face cream that will make you look younger like that should, that should be funny to even think about, right? Like it's going to take the wrinkles away and you're going to look younger and, and people have tried to freeze their bodies so just in case in the future they're going to, you're going to have, find this cure to cancer or whatever it might be. And the problem is none of this works because it's a physical death. Your soul will leave your body. It's not working because the word of God is talking about a spiritual death. And it's trying to awaken us. Are we dead already? See, we're separated from God. The only eternal life source, the spirit of God does not rest in us. See, I'm not saying working hard and, and exercising, do all these things. It actually says in the scripture to do these things. That it has a benefit to your physical body, but it's not the end goal. See, Paul is saying in this text, the time before you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you were dead and destined for eternal separation from Christ because of your spiritual deadness and separation from him. That's what Paul is saying separation from Christ. Look at number two, the second qualifier of our deadness is we are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. These ones get a little easier. The first one is the big one. This, this simply means that the Gentile people were not Jewish, right? They were a different people, a different citizenship. They were not the chosen people of God. Not only are we separated from the family of God, spiritually dead, but we are a separated culture altogether. And we get this, right? Like there's cultures all around us that are different. They look di- we look different, right? We sound different. Sometimes we have accents. Sometimes we actually have a different language. Like we see cultural differences through social media, on TV, all around us. Uh, just at Starbucks this week, I was sitting in my, my booth, <laughs> my, did you hear that? My booth, my section, my seat. And uh, there's a couple beside me speaking, uh, in the Russian, Russian family speaking beside me. And then on the phone, there's an Italian man. And I walk out of Starbucks and there's a Persian man talking and giving instructions to his child. Just in Starbucks alone. But yet there's all places all around us, right? Like our world has in the last little bit gotten smaller, meaning that you can now engage with a variety of cultures in your own backyard. Like... Like when I say, Surrey, what do you think of? I asked this to Braley, my, my youngest daughter, and she said, gangs. I was like, that's not the culture. What culture do you think of? And then she realized that what I was asking. But you see the East Indian neighborhoods. Uh, what about uh, when you, there's a little place downtown Vancouver, right in the downtown core that's really red, it's Chinatown. When you think of North Burnaby, we used to live in North Burnaby. It was like Little Italy right there. 
Um, even in, in parts of North Van here, we have Persian cultures and different cultures around that we live in. And just down the street from us, we have the Tsleil-Waututh Nation, right? They're, they're all over the place, different cultures. And we're recognized by our skin color or language or the most obvious differences. But there are many, right? In this text, not unlike many of the cultures in the world, the Gentile nation was alienated by the God they served. So they served multiple different gods where the Jewish nation was served God, the creator God. And see, the Gentile nation served all kinds of other gods and by doing so caused spiritual death because those gods were false and they are false and they give no life but just more rules. So this brings us to the third qualifier of our deadness that we are strangers to the covenants of promise. Strangers. So because they were not of the nation of Israel, they were also strangers to the covenant promise that God made with Abraham. Right? Again, they were outside of the family of God. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. And we see this in verse 11 when it is the Jewish nation proclaiming identity language over the Gentile nation being the uncircumcised. I'm not sure how they figured that one out. You can do some deep dive and research on that one. Um, but that, that's what they claim them to be is the uncircumcised people, meaning they are separated. They have no right to the covenant promise we see in Genesis 17, verses seven and, B, or, or verses seven and eight. And this is just a small snapshot of the covenant promise that God gave to Abraham. Like God gave to Abraham this covenant. And here, here's what God did. Just take a listen to this, all right? This is, what, this is God's side of the covenant. In verse seven and eight, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give it as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then in verse 11, or sorry, 10 and 11, we see our side of the covenant. So the people of Jerusalem's side of the covenant, people of Israel's side of the covenant. And their side was, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So let's take this slow down a little bit. So God's side of the covenant is to be their God, to give them all the land that they are foreigners in, and to be a possession over that land for eternity, and God will be their God. And all you have to do is cut off an insignificant piece of skin. Seems like a pretty sweet and gracious deal. This covenant was not given to the Gentile nations, so they were without hope. And that's our fourth qualifier of our deadness. They had no hope. We can understand this, right? Like many of the kids in the church are given at least an hour in Sunday school. And they're reading Bible verses right now and they're studying a little story and they're talking about Jesus and his salvation and they're given hope. But what about the kids that are grown up in abusive relationships and alcohol and drug addicted families? What about those kids? What about the kids born into families that teach them things contrary to Christ? To worship themselves or a statue or live in superstition? What about those kids? What about the kids that their fathers are so enamored by sports or cars or making themselves happy that they have forgotten the hope in Christ? What about the fathers that are living in bitterness or angry, anger that they cannot even contemplate forgiveness, 
even though they were forgiven and offered forgiveness uh, by God. What about those kids? Those outside the loving care of the church and a loving family rooted in Jesus are likened to the Gentile nation. Right? They are in a state of deadness that they are born into. They have no hope before the holy God of creation. They are not being taught about God and to surrender to him. Well, the fifth qualifier of our deadness in this text in verse 12 there is that in the past we were without God. So we're separated, alienated, strangers, without hope, and now without God. Well, these people are without God. They actually might say they have God, but they are so enamored with the God they created, they cannot actually even see the true and only creator God. And they are lost. Practically, our world's the same, right? Like what gods of our world created? Riches, right? They're, we're enamored with riches. We're enamored with personal satisfaction or happiness. Like get this, I know a father that left his four kids and his wife because he wanted to be happy. Like what does that say to your kids? What does that say to your wife? You are not making me happy Therefore, I'm going to go seek my happiness. I'm gone. It's horrible. But that's us. We have elevated the results of what God is promising, his gifts that give us. Results are here, happiness. Our results of serving God, our result is eternal life. Our result is happiness. Our result is joy. Our result is love. And when you start replacing the result for the one who creates it, you come into problems. And this is what this man did. He, he served the result rather than the creator of it. And Paul puts it this way in Romans 1, 21 and 23. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they came futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Worship the creator rather than the creation or creator, creation rather than the creator. Right? These two verses in Ephesians are not only awaking us to the fact that we are dead, but that we are also born separate by culture, not a people of God, alienated, strangers to the covenants, with no hope and without God. This is our past state. Horrible. Let's take a deep breath. That's the bad news. All right, you guys ready for the good news? I know I am. This is our past state, and Paul awakens us now to the good news. Our second point is present life. What does we get? Look again at verses 13 to 18. So sweet. But now, Matt paused last week and said, but God. Same kind of thing here in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby 
thereby killing the hostility, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Family, the present life for the Gentile people in time of Paul and the present time for us can only be expressed by glorious grace. It's glorious grace. See, I'm not sure you see this. I never noticed it until Monday when I was reading this text over and over again. But on Monday, it just popped. We have those five qualifiers of our deadness. And in this text, we have five qualifiers of our aliveness battling those dead qualities. So let's walk through them together. So remember, our past was separated from Christ. Look at verse 13 again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. No longer separated, you're brought near. Not by a mere slice of an insignificant piece of skin, but by God himself putting himself on the cross. You did nothing. Nothing. He did everything. This is glorious grace. Look at the second one. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Remember, not citizens. We're not citizens. We're illegal immigrants. Right? Wrong side of the border. Different culture altogether. Hostility. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace who has made us, Jew and Gentile, one, no more hostile border. No more hostile border. No looking at another race, ethnicity, body, and culture differences that hostility is done. It's over. Through and by Jesus, we are one, saved by grace, through Jesus' provided peace, like what better message can you share with your neighbor, that Persian neighbor or Tsleil-Waututh na- nation neighbor than when they accept Jesus Christ that you can look at them in the eyes and go, you're my brother or you're my sister in Christ. There's no more skin color. That's not your, your identity. Your identity is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You are saved by Christ Now we're family. It goes back to Ephesians chapter 1 when God's whole purpose, his mystery of the gospel is to unite us as a family. To bring us back into the eternal family of God, making us holy and blameless, spiritually making us alive instead of being dead anymore. This is the wealth of the gospel. This is the good news. And what better news do we have to go and share with our family and friends around that we just have not met yet? This is so good. We don't enter into the, co- the commonwealth of Israel, but the commonwealth of Jesus. You have to ask then, well, Jared, what about the covenant then? Well, that's the next verse. Look at the next points. It says the, the past was we were strangers to the covenant promise. 
Look at verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. See, Jesus' blood sacrifice for us abolished the law. It means he completely fulfilled it. By doing so, this unites us because there is no longer separation by the covenant of death. Remember that how I started. There is a covenant, there is an interpersonal relationship barrier. There's a hostility wall. No longer. Jesus paid that. He cleansed you and he cleansed me from all unrighteousness, binding us together as one. We are now family. We're a community of followers of Jesus Christ going in the same direction, praising his glorious grace and what he's done in our lives, making us alive. The fourth deadness was no hope. So the aliveness and hope is the very points we just discovered. See, the bringing near, the peace through Jesus' message, sacrifice, and the abolishing of the law. The blood of Christ has transformed you from spiritual death to spiritual life. This is our hope. And then the last portion, without God, the past, being without God, well, verses 16 to 18 covers that. It says, and might, Jesus might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility again. And he came and preached to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So rather than being without God, we are fully reconciled to him by the cross and given access by the Spirit to the Father. Like, think about something that you really love. Like, take a moment. Think about something that you really love, that you, dear, that you just care for, like, with the biggest part of your heart. What came to my mind right away was my wife, Jody. I love her. And I remember when we were dating, we spent years um, in, in a long-distance relationship. And there was no FaceTime. This is a long time ago, right? No, no internet. So you literally had to write letters or drive a really long ways. And we were two provinces away at one time. And I hated it. We both hated it. We hated the fact that we had to drive so far just to see each other for like 48 hours. And so we made a covenant with one another, a marital covenant that we will not separate until death separates us. Likened to marriage, but far greater, our Father in heaven gave Jesus as a covenantal promise so that we might be moved from spiritual deadness to spiritual aliveness. Do you see how much the Father loves you? You are a dead corpse. The Father loves you so much and hates the fact that there's a chasm between us. So he pays for the chasm, the penalty, through Jesus in his blood, so that he can now be together with you. Jesus loves you so much that he died and paid that penalty so that he can be with, together with you again. This is God's plan. This is God's story that he, you've done nothing and he's doing everything. God sees the separation between you and him and he, he hates it. He wants nothing but to be with you. 
This is the story of Ephesians chapter 2. See, God the Father wants to be united with you, but that's not all. There's also the present and future outcome. See, we read the next, the last couple verses as we close. In verses 19 to 22, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So take the five qualifiers again of our deadness. And Paul here again nails them to the cross in this portion of the text. Look at the first uh, deadness qualifications again. And together it's the first two are separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. No longer. Look at verse 19 again. It says, fellow citizens, saints, members of the household of God. That's who you are. Fellow citizens, saints, members of the household of God. What about strangers to the covenant, covenants of promise? No longer. Look at verse 20. It says, your foundational cornerstone is Jesus. Like, do you understand what a cornerstone is? Because I was in construction at one time, I do understand that. Maybe some of you don't understand. A cornerstone was like the corner rock that you literally measure off of that foundational rock to build your house. Like that is the set place that you take all measurements off of to build your house. Is the cornerstone. The cornerstone is Jesus. So everything needs to be measured off of him. Everything. Or else your house is going to get all wonky. Right? If you start measuring off the cornerstone and go, oh, this looks like a nice straight spot, so I'll just measure off of that. Your house will be, look like a gong show. Right? And so this is, this is where we go. And, and so Jesus is our cornerstone. And without Christ being your cornerstone, you're going to look really funny. But even worse than that, you're going to be dead. Spiritually, physically dead. Nothing will change. But the cool thing is, there is no longer, our foundation is Jesus Christ and also the apostles and the prophets. So Jesus is the cornerstone now and the apostles and prophets are your teachings to help guide you. You're no longer a stranger. You're being built up by the very words of God. And then the fourth deadness is having no hope. Well, no longer. Look at verse 21. It says, not only do we have hope, but being built with the foundation of Jesus, the prophets, the apostles, the teachings, we were being built into, in temp, up into a temple. This is huge. We could spend another five hours on just this part. You're being built into a temple. Do you remember what a temple was in the Old Testament? It was the place where God resided. It was the place of his holiness. It was a place that you could only, uh, the high priest could only enter into a portion of this temple or else they would just die because of the holiness was so great. You could not enter in without sacrifice. Well, Jesus is our sacrifice. And so God changes the whole perspective and goes, no, don't build me a temple. You are becoming a temple for me to reside in. 
We are becoming the temple of old where God's presence resided. God is repeating history but making it so much better. So the last one, so are we without God then? Well, no, no longer. In verse 22, while in Christ by way of the Spirit, we are being built into a temple for God, the Father, to dwell. God literally is going to dwell within you. This is such good news. We were dead physically and spiritually, and God is making us alive. And not only making us alive, he's building us into a temple so that he might reside in us and live in us. See, we Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, who are joined together in one family as the church are a holy dwelling place for God's presence. So when you're looking at your brother or sister, you're looking at a dwelling place for the Lord. So you love them. You love your neighbor. You care for them. You honor them. You respect them. You treat them with kindness and love and joy and peace and patience because they're a dwelling place for the almighty God. And they ought to do the same for you. Please, please, please see the glorious grace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit this morning. God the Father wants to be united with you. You simply need to cut away the insignificant piece of skin that's lingering on. Whatever it is, let it go. It means nothing and has no value compared to Jesus in your eternal destination. Transformation from death to life. You gotta ask the question, do I really want it? Do I want this? Do I wanna be a dwelling place for the Lord? May we be united today as a body celebrating his oneness for our good and his glory. And we can do this by partaking in communion. We can do this by partaking in communion, going, this body, this wafer, represents Jesus' body broken for me. And I take it and eat it, representing what Jesus did on the cross, his broken body shed, and his shed blood, the juice represented his shed blood for us, covering us, covering, taking away, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, a righteousness so that we can be one with him. So if you're a Christian here today, if you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, then come and celebrate with communion today. Let me pray for us.